Welcome to LabCast. This is a podcast brought to you by MedLab Combo. It's a podcast where we discuss every and anything medical laboratory science. Stay tuned bi-weekly on all podcast streaming platforms and do well to subscribe. Follow us on all social media pages at MedLab Combo. Enjoy the episode. Live class listeners, it's an absolute pleasure to be back with another amazing episode. Today, we'll be delving into the cutting edge advancements in vaccine technology, which are pivotal in achieving herd immunity in the populace. As we all know, vaccines have made tremendous strides with remarkable improvements in their production time and efficacy. Hmm. Gone are the days when vaccine production was a laborious process. Nowadays, we witness vaccines being created much faster indicating significant progress in the field. My name is Samuel, and I'm joined by my esteemed co-hosts, Jesu Tomisi and Ulu Amuiwa. Please say hi to our esteemed listeners. Hello. Yeah, you're welcome. And today we have the privilege to be joined by a very wonderful person who is highly passionate in molecular biology, and his name is Sheung Ulufemi. Sheung Ulufemi, you are very much welcome to the building. Yeah, thank you very much, um, Mr. Samuel, for the invite. All right. And Mr. So Kisu to missing. Thank you very much. All right. So Sheung is a highly passionate biochemistry graduate from Laduke Akintola University of Technology, Obomashon, Nigeria. He's an accomplished researcher, having published numerous papers in top-notch journals and has also presented his findings at both local and international conferences. Sheung's enthusiasm lies in comprehending the underlying molecular mechanisms of disease progression and devising interventions against them. Wow, wow. Furthermore, Sheung is an exceptional teacher, having trained countless individuals on the fundamentals of immunoinformatics and vaccine design. He has garnered numerous accolades, fellowships, and grants for his remarkable contributions in the realm of vaccine technology. We are thrilled to have him on the show where he can share his insights and expertise with our listeners and the team. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing to hear about you. Can we actually hear from you, sir, Mr. Sheo? Tell us a bit about yourself. Okay, um, thank you very much, um, Mr. Summer. Okay, so my name is Sheo, Sheo Elijah Ulufemi, and um, I am currently serving as research and teaching assistant at Helix Biogen Institute. Coupled with that, I have other roles in other institutes, which are very much related to vaccine concepts. I'm currently serving as a program and research associate with Life Care Health um, Abuja. So, and um, um, what we eventually, what we do, what we do, like, like what I do majorly is to talk about uh, the design of vaccine and how, and how vaccines are, um, gets to the um, end producer i mean to the end users and the process involved so um i'm really much passionate about how we can alleviate um global disease burden whereby people can live long live fine live okay and um, and um everybody can be okay um, we don't need to fall sick and um, everybody can be happy 
Wow, wow, wow. Welcome again, uh, Mr. Shell. So it's impressive, yeah, you know, you. hearing your hearing your profile and hearing you even speak about yourself. So, you know, when we talk about vaccine, vaccine is something that almost everybody will have heard about. And if not, you know, with the advent of COVID, um, it has become more or less an household term. So, you know, what exactly are vaccines? Let's start from there. What are vaccines? For those who may not know what vaccines are. Okay, uh, well, it's funny because this is a lab cast. Uh, it's a lab cast. So if we haven't um, heard about those who haven't heard about vaccine, it's, uh, it's going to be really, really more fun. But okay, let me define vaccine so that everybody could um, could get, even even if a layman is to pick up um, to hear my um, voice, to be able to understand what vaccines do eventually. Vaccines are just substance. They are not drugs anyway. By which we take in order to prevent diseases from coming. So, um, and I'm using a common example of fence. For example, um, people build fences in their house so that thief doesn't come. It's not that the thief is going to be coming the next day or so, but it's it's a preventive measure. So, vaccines are, are substance we take in order to build our immune responses against um, probable pathogens. So that's vaccines. So, I would like to ask, what does vaccine production entail? Vaccine production, it's a whole lot of complex, um, complex process. It's um, um, in, in, the, in the process of vaccine and trying to produce a vaccine, um, it occurs in different phases. Um, the R&D phase, um, whereby we try to do that in the lab, the preclinical trial phase, the clinical trial phase, uh, and uh, some, some even include the supply chain management, then getting to um, the people, the end users, then there's what we also call um, the uh, post-evaluation uh, and market uh, markets uh, survey. So um, the process of vaccine, from vaccine right from the lab to the people, it's a lot of complex process and it takes uh, a number of years in most cases before that could achieve. I don't know if you really want me to start diving into each of those processes, what it entails, like for example, the hair and this, um, the process whereby we design the vaccine um, trying to use either the conventional or the modern day reverse technology method. Um, the preclinical ones is when you're trying to check it on um, animals. You use your lab rats, you use, um, um, you use man in some cases, I mean, sorry, you use mammals, giant mammals in some cases like um, gorilla. So then before you move it to man for the first clinical phase, targeting your subgroups, second clinical phase, third clinical phase, then um, eventually mass production and upscaling. Then we talk about supply chain, how it gets to people. Then um, after it gets to people, then after the first dose, then you also quantify their responses also. So vaccine production is a complex process, a very long time process, and um, and and uh, it really involves a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of resources. That's absolutely amazing. I love the way you actually take us into the face of production. Beautiful one. So, Mr. Shio, we know in time past, the production of vaccine was a cumbersome one and usually taking years to develop. And looking at how COVID vaccine came barely a year after its outbreak, what advancement has been made so far concerning vaccine development? Such a beautiful question. It's really an amazing question. Um, like I said earlier, um, the, um, the previous method for vaccine design is what we call the traditional, the conventional method. 
And this type of method, what happens is that uh, you have to first try to get your isolates or the particular um, 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 the particular pathogen you want to work against. All right, so you get your isolates. You go into the people. You take isolates. You try to extract. Uh, try to isolate your organism. After you isolate your organism, try to determine the antigenic portion. It is that your antigenic portion you will now even use to make. Um, your vaccine if you're talking about subunit vaccines from conventional way and some some others are life kill which is that you will also use for life kill or life attenuated vaccines so it's 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 a whole process let's say you want to divine you, you want to um design the vaccine for um um a very um uh, a community against let's say um maybe covid now i'm using the conventional method you have to start getting isolated about five thousand samples and laboratory scientists could be able to witness that it 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 would be time consuming, all right? It would be it wastes um, quite a number of agents, quite a number of money, quite a number of efforts to go into into place. But now the modern day, we don't need to do all that. There is a there, there is an approach we call the reverse vaccinology approach, whereby um, we can employ the use of genomic information from this particular pathogen of choice to actually design a probable vaccine candidate. And that way you have saved time, you have saved money, you have saved efforts, and uh, it can even be easily optimized in case of when there is a failure at a particular stage, you know where to go to and where to easily amend um, things up and you can still go back to your production again. So the, um, so the modern day now employs a reverse vaccinology um, approach and that is really what has helped scale up COVID-19 vaccine and uh, and a whole number of new vaccines that are that are just rolling out. All right, uh, thank you very much, Special. Uh, I was just thinking this is a personal question. I was wondering if because you mentioned how you could use um, genomics data to come up with um, alternatives to the normal, traditional, or conventional methods that we use. And I'm just thinking because I, I know of something called organ on ships where you know you have instead of using the normal clinical trial of everything, or maybe your preclinical -clin pre trial where you use mice or monkeys or gorillas, like you said, you will have something like a new technology where you can have input parameters that also that mimic what will happen in a human being. This is, does this also apply to vaccine technology? I'm just asking. This is a question that just came to my head right now. Um, um, okay, um, that's such a wonderful question. It's really, really wonderful question. I don't know, um, I, I, I'm not so sure about the date, but I think either earlier this year or late last year, the Food Drug Administration Agency for the United States approved that uh, is um, that computational simulation and organ on chip processes can be used for FDA approval for drugs and other biomolecules. Do you get that now? So, um, so that's, that is really, really wonderful. And um, with, with that, though, as of now, as of now, um, there have not been reports that um, drugs and um, drugs, vaccines, and other biologics use organ on chip, um, use organ on chip for their validation for preclinicals and clinical trials. But but it it is um, a whole um, 
a whole uh, envisaging prospects that would that, that we envisaging that okay let's say i design my vaccine instead of me going to kick complex numbers of rats and then um, reducing their lives instead of me uh, i'm trying it on human i could easily use i could easily mop it up with my organ on chips via my cell line procedure and then um, try to see if it would work or not i could easily assay for my toxic compounds that okay is it toxic and via organ on chips, would it really affect the heart? Would it really affect the spleen? Would it really affect the um, small intestines and other vital organs of the body? So it's a um, it's a real good prospect that we're envisaging that is going to come and it's going to circulate throughout the entire world. But um, but for now, um, I've not been seeing reports that um, people are already moving into organ on chips. We are still going with the whole process of um, the animal and the humans. All right, interesting, interesting. I'm also looking forward to how possible that to be. Um, so, but for some of us in science circles, you know, yes. All right. So, for some of us in within the science circle, you know, the most common types of vaccines that we hear about, because uh, I, I remember I'm, I'm still I'm I'm just a fresh graduate, for example, and you know, the definition of vaccines that we give, you know, all these textbooks definitions, you know how Nigeria is and how old this, some of these textbooks we use are. We talk about vaccines as inactivated the types that we most like most like mostly talk about are the inactivated wool vaccines you know like the polio vaccines or the live attenuated vaccines but we have come to learn yes, about yes. new new kinds of vaccines like um protein subunit vaccines or the viral vector mRNA vaccines even yes even the nucleic acid vaccines like the dna vaccines and the mrna like for example during the covid now we heard a lot about the Moderna and, and Pfizer mRNA vaccines. Can you just shed a little more light on these vaccine types? You know, especially as a molecular scientist that you are, how, let's say, gene editing tools have been employed in coming about these types of vaccines. Okay, okay. Um, let me start with all these type of vaccines you've mentioned. Um, yeah, it, it is actually true. Our, our basic immunology throughout, um, um, throughout school would focus more on life attenuated vaccines, and we'll be told around the stories of um, Edward Jenner. I would take um, the cow, cow dung or cow or whatever to start to immunize against smallpox, terrible. So those are the kind of stories that we are so familiar with right from school and then that's that has actually been interesting but anyway um it actually lays a basis for the foundations of other vaccines that we have okay now um for example life attenuated vaccine is just that okay this this particular uh isolates I, I have gotten um and when i've discovered that it's pathogenic what do i do with it the um the uh, the principle is that i can it kill it so once I it's killed it, that means I have in, inactivated it. Then I've introduced it into the body of an host. So the body of the host would signal to immune response. Actually, we expect that that um, it killed animal will not cause anything harmful, but it would um, produce immune response. All right. So in um, in paraventure, the real pathogen comes in. So the immune response would already fight against that, and a bit of it will be saved that is in form of either memory B cells or memory T cells. So these bits that has been saved would um, would would lie in the memory. Paraventure the new, um, the main um, pathogen comes in, then it will fight against it. But that method over time, they have discovered that uh, it comes alongside with a lot of um, fallout. That is, they will report that life-animated versus eventually uh, becomes the real pathogens that uh, 
um, that eventually killed a lot of people several years ago, and oh, a whole lot of um, responses like that. But now, um, the modern technology is now um, looking at, okay, instead of us using the entire organism, why don't we use a certain portion that could actually stimulate immune response? So that's where the concept of, okay, uh, protein subunit comes in. That's where the concept of, okay, um, mRNA comes in. Uh, that's the concept of DNA comes in, and there are all lots other types of um, vaccine. So, as people are using protein subunits, and we have been discovering that okay, for most protein subunits, what they what they actually do is they use a particular antigenic portion. Then somebody also now comes up with that with an idea that okay, or with a theory that instead of using um, just a portion, why can't we use multiple portions of the same? Um, uh, multiple portions and let's see if it will increase the uh, idea. So that that one also leads to um, uh, the concept of okay, can we also design what we call pentavalent vaccines? I, I know that most of you are familiar with what we call DPT, whereby um, a particular vaccine could work for about three or four organisms of within the same class. All right, so um, so that is a concept. Then somebody says, okay, why don't we actually? Why can't can can we take these vaccines? In, in an mRNA form, whereby our body will be the one to do the, without actually attaching to our genome, and our body will be the one to produce more of these vaccines and also stimulate immune response. So the entire concept, um, the, um, the entire concept is improving over and over and over time. So it's it's a new concept um, whereby people are trying to work on pre-existing ones, and that's how science has been. Work on pre-existing ones, we, we identify the limitation of a particular process or a particular protocol or a particular technology. We try to work on existing ones and work on existing ones and work on existing ones. So in general, genomics has come to the point whereby uh, I've solved the major issue of trying to use the life attenuated form of vaccines. And then uh, it has further helped amplify the process whereby we cannot use a certain portion of an organism, instead of using the entire, instead of inoculating people with the entire organism, we use certain portion of the organisms to design vaccine candidates that has proven over time to be more effective. Okay, thank you so much, um, Mr. Shill. So I picked some of your word right there, genome sequencing and uh, like, I want you in relation to that and cloning, can you talk more about Reverse vaccine technology, like reverse um, method of production in terms of cloning and expression. Can you please talk more about this? Okay, okay, okay. Um, such a wonderful question. It, it's it's really good to have to talk about. I really go into the molecular science aspect of it. Um, <clears throat> in simple words, let me talk about cloning. In simple words, what is clone? You are trying to make. Um, um, replicates copies of what you have in initial one. For example, I have one thing and I want to make um, more and more and more and more and more and more of it. So what do we do? By the time we, you actually design your vaccine and um, before the entire process goes into, uh, into play, into play um, for example, maybe you're talking about a protein 
um, versing, you will have to actually clone it in order to have replicate copies of it so that you so that you have enough one that you'll be able to use for your let's say for clinical trials or clinical trials also. So how do you do it? Once you have designed your vaccine in whatever form it is, then you um, use what we call a cloning vector. And a cloning vector, we can have it in form of, let's say it can be a plasmid, it can be um, it can be a plasmid, cosmid, back and yak. Then after your cloning vector, then you, um, you would put it in your, uh, um, you will use your restriction endonucleases to digest the particular aspect of it. Then you start your vaccine in whatever format into it. Then um, you take um, that particular thing, you put it into your um, your hosts. It can be E. coli, it can be an insect, some use insect also. So then after that, um, as these things goes into the particular organism, there is this what we call these um, replicative processes. So the more the bacteria you are using is produced, the more, for example, maybe using bacteria, the more it's produced, the more the, the more the organism or your DNA uh, process uh, or your vaccine construction you have in it get more produced. Then all you just have to do is do partial digestion, then um, then protein purification to have your um, your protein or your DNA or your uh, or your okay. In this case, your vaccine constructs in pure form. So that's the entire concept of uh, molecular cloning for vaccine DNA for um, for vaccines. And okay, and I think you also mentioned talking about the concept of reverse vaccinology. Am I right? Okay. Yes, yes, so yes. um, reverse vaccinology. I think I, yeah. Okay. So reverse vaccinology. I think I have said that earlier. Um, in brief, is just where you're trying to use computational approaches to explore um, to explore the genome of the particular bacteria, trying to uh, use that particular genome of a particular organism or pathogen in this case. Don't let me say bacteria. Then, to, um, then you will now use the entire process to design your vaccine candidates. So it's in simple words, you are trying to use computational algorithms, computational systems to um, explore um, the genome of a particular pathogen. And not only pathogens in this case, sometimes it can even be human host when we talk about the case of cancer and thereabouts. And um, when, once you do that, you explore it to design your vaccine candidates then um, that's the entire concept of reverse vaccinology. So without going into the lab, so you skip lab process, use a computer algorithm, you design your vaccine candidates, period. Just like a dry lab um, analysis. Yes, it's purely dry lab. Mm, beautiful. Thank you so much for the explanation. Indeed, you are a great teacher. <laughs> So um, despite the advantage of vaccine to immune system, and uh, you know the la the white cape of vaccine in general there are still some fears around it like one of the fears that spread like wildfire was regarding the safety of the mrna vaccines whether or not they could alter our genetic makeup this even this fear even had the backing of some scientists can you weigh in on this please and um was it blown out of proportion or was the fear a legit one? What's your take on this one? Okay, um, I'll try to talk safe. <laughs> so I'll try to talk safe. Um, because we have um, several input of scientists on it. I think I've seen some um, top ranking professors say that MRN vaccines actually harmful and um, 
and some actually talked about it that they are not harmful. Um, but but uh, um, the major thing I've tried to say is that for every technology, there's always an advantage and there will always be a disadvantage. All right. Um, and what actually makes a technology more acceptable is if the advantage can entirely can um, overweigh its disadvantage. So to me, mRNA vaccines are pretty safe and the concept of it uh, altering um, the human genome is, uh, is entirely blown out of proportion. So it's entirely blown out of proportion. So mRNA vaccines, most mRNA vaccines are designed in such a way that uh, they have envisaged that particular problem during the process of the designing stage, and they have tried to look for a way to uh, boycott that. So um, the concept that it's me, so it's it is actually it should actually be a prob uh, a prob a probability statement. But when it's spread like uh, wildfire, there it even increases what we call vaccine hesitancy among people. That no no no, no I'm not going to this type of vaccines. I've been informed that um, it's going to. Um, affect my own particular uh, um, genome, and um, we don't know what the aftermath of that could be. So I think it was blown out of proportion. It was uh, it was an emphasis problem, and I think science has already boycotted that in the process of the designing. The modern science has already boycotted that in the process of um, the designing stage. All right, thank you for clearing that out. So now. Can you, can you give us some examples of vaccines that are approved? We know that there are some diseases that we've grown up to know, and till now we've not had that they have a vaccine. Just like malaria, that it's almost approved last year. Look at looking at how many how many people have died before we got to this stage. Now, I would really want to ask, what are the vaccines that are approved now? Um, which of them are in the pipeline and which ones have not had vaccines? Like what kind of infections have not had vaccines yet for and maybe why? Okay. Yeah, um, this is a very nice question. At least it's actually putting more people um, with these statements now. We actually put more people into the forefront of designing therapeutics, going into the process of um, vaccinology, molecular biosciences, immunology to ensure that uh, we have enough workforce into the process of vaccine design, vaccine development, and trying to get, um, trying to achieve global equity in terms of um, treatment options. So we have a number of diseases that uh, that they don't actually have vaccines yet. And some, and some diseases are actually, we are having multiple candidates day by day, day by day. Series so by time you check WHO draft landscape for all vaccines candidates, you see uh, an increasing number. Even for example, we still have um, um, you'll be shocked to know that we still have more candidate vaccines um, in pipeline for COVID than, than the approved one. It's such a great news. And because uh, most RNA viruses, um, a single type of vaccine may not be too effective for them. Take for instance, influenza virus. Influenza virus had its first vaccine approved uh, way a lot of years back. But to date, we are having more and more and more vaccines to, to tackle this particular infection. There are some particular um, uh, um, 
RNA viruses will keep having more and more, and, and there are some particular um, diseases case that they don't yet have vaccine candidate for. And uh, 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 for example, in most cancers, um, in most cancer case, because vaccines have actually been proven to work against cancer, in most cancer case, we don't have, uh, we don't have um, vaccine candidate for them yet. I think the only one that we are having now is uh, talking about one of the hepatitis, which is maybe hepatitis B or so. And then, yeah, and human papilloma virus that causes um, cervica. So, and there is this particular um, particular group, they are called neglected tropical diseases, the NTDs. Virtually all, I'm saying virtually because it is not whole, virtually all diseases within this particular category don't yet have a vaccine. People are not looking into them. And these are diseases of the poor. Um, some even called them under the large tag of infectious diseases of the poor. They attack the poor people where they have um, um, good um, lack amenities to um, um, social, um, social basic amenities like good water, good road, um, good food, and so. So most of diseases in this category under that white class do not yet have vaccines candidates. And one of the major reasons that like you have asked that why do, don't they have is because these are diseases that affect with the blacks, that affect the poor, that affect people down south, the, down south the globe, and necessarily it doesn't um, affect the whites or the great funders of all these vaccine development technologies and the likes. So um, it is it is actually expected that more effort will be put to um, to diseases um, that actually affect the global time, not um, the ones that affect. Uh, a very minor set of people. So we, so, so we still have a lot of diseases that we don't have um, vaccine candidates for. All right. So maybe just as a follow-up to what you just said now, I think I completely agree with you that, yes, one good reason why we don't have vaccines for a good number of diseases are because they, are, they fall under entities. But what would you say about a disease like HIV that actually cuts across you know, the globe? I think I heard of one case where they, they made an attempt to have an HIV vaccine, but it wasn't as effective as it hope for it to be. But HIV widely doesn't have the vaccine for it. What would you say is the reason for that? Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I I, I have answered the question in the first instance. HIV vaccine is an RNA form of vaccine. And uh, um, um, it's an, um, sorry, it's an RNA virus. And one major uh, nasty thing about RNA virus is that they easily mutate off. They easily mutate. So the antigenic portion, uh, that it is that same antigenic portion that um, that uh, um, we used or scientists used in designing vaccine candidates is the same one they use in mutating. So um, the more the more rapid they mutate of the more the vaccine candidate that is produced won't be ineffective. I don't know if it's earlier this year or late last year. I forgot. Um, forgotten. There was a vaccine candidate for HIV that was uh, that was just disapproved at the clinical trial too, at the clinical trial stage too. So it's a whole lot of process from for vaccine to have moved from R&D up to the clinical trials and was just disapproved that uh, it could not be too effective as to. So the major problem with, um, vir uh, with vaccine candidates under the broad class of the RNA virus is that uh, we will keep having mutations for them and uh, for the ones that we have been able to manage like COVID and um, influenza to an extent, there, there are multiple vaccine candidates for it multiple vaccine candidates. So HIV cut across, it falls under the uh, the RNA class, but um, 
the the uh, mutative um, function of HIV, it's so 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 high. I think that probably could be one of the major reasons that is holding off the results at the clinical trials. All right, all right. I'm just going to push a little bit more, so maybe we can get more clarity on that because. I don't know if I'm mistaken, but COVID is also an RNA, RNA virus, right? So if we can have like vaccine for COVID, I mean, even with the within the shortest possible time, what exactly are HIV two is RNA? So what exactly is? Uh, I take it that yes, it's mutates a lot, but maybe there's something else. I don't really. Sh I just need more clarity on that. Yeah, it it actually mutates a lot, and um, by the time you talk about um rna viruses we also have different class of them for example um we talk about the positive single strand rna and the negative single strand rna so the category the category that each one falls to determine its its mutative agents so if one falls to up uh, i'm not too sure but but if if one was to um, positive or negative, it, it is more replicative than the other. So I think um, the class of HIV and COVID and influenza uh, are not in the same class. They are not in the same class. I think um, that that is one of the major things that actually causes the disparity and may have been um, a major reason why, why we have a reduced effect in it. And two, another major reason that makes HIV so special from it is that HIV's point of attachment is different. HIV actually attach to um, what we call the CD4. I'm sorry, the CD4, CD8, that is the clusters of differentiation. Now this attachment, it is actually attaching on the immune system that is meant to protect our body. So that means that by the time um, HIV attached to the body, what the body is supposed to produce to combat it is what is already killing off in the first place. So that makes HIV very, very more dangerous compared to the likes of SARS-CoV-2, um, which attaches to um, ACE2 and other respiratory virus. So their point of, um, their mechanisms of action is majorly the uh, the major thing that causes this particular problem we're talking about. All right, thank you so much for clearing that out, for clearing that up for us. Um, so we know that vaccines have a lot of benefits, whether health-wise or economic-wise or socially-wise, but I understand that there's there are a lot of obstacles along the way, you know, in vaccine production and its use. In fact, what are some of these challenges, and what are the best approaches to combat them? Challenges? Is it in vaccine production or vaccine or getting the vaccine to um, the end users? Vaccine production and getting it to the end users as well. The journey from vaccine research and development to vaccine use. Okay. Okay. <laughs> We have countless production, um, countless challenges. A major one is when we talk about, okay, we have produced the vaccine, we have designed the vaccine, we have produced the vaccine, how do we get it to the end users? What are the process? Now we're talking about the supply chain management of um, vaccines. I think more recently, one of the jobs I've been doing now is trying to evaluate supply chain management system of vaccines that has been produced and um, that and and how and how do people try to get it? So it's a whole problem. And by the time we are doing, we are, it's currently a study that is ongoing. By the time we are doing that study, that current study, we saw a lot of loopholes. Um, and we are using Nigeria as a case study. We saw a lot of loopholes on why people are not getting vaccines. And apart from that, talking about the issue of vaccine hesitancy, people don't actually want to take some of these vaccines because of some particular rumors 
that they have had. Talking about upscaling vaccines, we designed the vaccines and so, and we, um, we have designed the vaccine and um, um, we, we, we have designed, but we could not produce it in mass production so that people get it. So um, that's, that is also a major challenge, okay, for risk and vaccines productions in general. Um, for instance, the entire African country, there is no single place whereby um, um, vaccine is produced from start to finish. Um, um, it was of recent, I think, 2021, um, whereby we are having um, WHO and some other big, big organizations are trying to set up a, um, a field finish center at South Africa also. And I don't even think the, um, the stuff is already getting, um, has already kicked off operation as of now. So um, we have a lot of problem. Um, a lot of problems. So uh, another major one people are not talking about talking about vaccine equity. Do va do we have enough um, um, dosage that could cater for our people down south of the globe? Another one is talking about uh, the designing stage. Do we actually capture uh, all the particular audience or the particular members in mind before we uh, talk talking about this to design our vaccine? So we have a lot of problems. Um, that, that comes across at different particular sector, different particular phase of the vaccine production and vaccine use. But one of the major um, things that I would say that can be one of the major and major uh, solution is that we don't keep quiet, we keep shouting it. We, we, we increase our awareness to the government, um, to funding agencies, we keep talking to funding agencies, we keep talking to the government, keep talking to the people on the use of vaccines, talking to the government on the reason why they have to engage in collaborations with big funding agents so that we could have an R&D section, a vaccine scale-up sections in our countries, on our continents, on our places. So we just, we just have to keep talking it. Um, um, also to talk about a whole food genomic inclusion of um, probably Africa of a particular race into into databases so that we could have more information from one particular another we have about 98 percent of it coming from just one hand and about 1.1 coming from the other hand and the other this actually causing a large disparity in the, the results and treatment outcomes so we just have to keep talking it to governments to people to funding agencies that this vaccine is of a thing we have identified the problem and one of our major solutions that we are proposing is that everybody's hand must be on deck, everybody must be involved, everybody must be passionate until we get this problem solved. That is, we sent off vaccine preventable diseases down the hole. All right, thank you very much, Sasha. You know, I just want to draw your attention back again to one of the things you've already mentioned. And I think it's a big problem, considering especially our context, Nigeria and how we take some of these things either lightly or we just avoid them entirely. And I'm talking about vaccine hesitancy. As an expert, I just want you to make, take your stance or just give, just to reiterate what probably a lot of people have already said about vaccine and vaccine hesitancy. Because you know, in Nigeria, if you look at the COVID-19 situation, for example, you know, when, when the vaccine started coming up, we had even religious leaders say things like, I think, I can't remember the church exactly, but there was one prominent um, pastor that spoke against people using vaccines. You know, if you go as far back as when the polio initiative was was on, then we had we had um, Muslim leaders as well saying things like, um, you know, it will affect your fertility. 
it will affect uh, your it affect different things about about your makeup you know people were just very very hesitant <laughs> so okay. i just want you to take a stance you know for our audience that are out there that will be listening to this what is your uh, okay. stance on vaccine hesitancy um um, I would say, okay, you said especially in Nigeria, so I'll start from there. Nigeria is largely a religious country, and uh, it's quite different from the country like U.S., uh, United Kingdom, or, or the Western uh, culture. Nigeria is largely a religious country. I think we have a large share of about 55% being Muslim, around 40-something percent being Christians, and around 1-3% one, one being around other tradition leaders. And what is the effect of this? The effect of this means that um, uh, we have two major mind feeders. We have, a, okay, let's say we have a major mind feeder, which is coming from our religious bodies, all right? So everybody either attends a church, a mosque, or you believe in one God or the other, and with a very few percent having nothing to do with all these things. So the concept of vaccine hesitancy uh, in Nigeria got to rose when religious leaders were speaking against um the use of vaccine and it really really escalated by people um people are not um what's it called people are not trying to take the vaccines until the government has to intervene by putting measures to ensure that okay for example um the public servant has to take so before you resume you have to show your the card or so uh you have to show your vaccine cards or so before you can resume plus of works and some private so that's when people started trying to reduce the uh the um, um that's where the resistance starts getting reduced and um <laughs> well i would not say not willingly but one of the things that i could say that we could do to reduce vaccine resistance in the country is uh try to educate our people and we could and we could start from the feeders itself the mind feeders probably organize um conference symposium for our ministers um our um our religious leaders try to educate them on the reason why our people should take this and that these things are not the devil killing us these things are meant to make us safe for crying out loud um <laughs> either we know either knowingly or knowingly we have also um taken one or two vaccines right from childhood you know the polio vaccines is a must that you must take um dpt and all those class of vaccine so um the major issue that rose around covid was okay when people were talking that it was a new form of vaccine that has not been existing which apparently mrna vaccine started work long time ago around in the 1970s so um, what i could say is that it was just a very big misconception that rose around religious settings in the country and as widely influenced people but with uh, but i appreciate that now that particular news and rumor has dropped down a bit but um what what could we do in in other further occurrences is try to when there is a new technology because these particular countries always have a strife between um science and religion it's 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 it, it, it do occur majorly you know when when the issue of 5g started coming in we also have source like that the issue of new version candidates coming in so uh I think we'll have to make use of our media, make use of our symposium, um, organize symposium, organize to educate both the people, religious leaders, and everybody on making sure that these technologies that we are bringing in, these new science solutions we are make, uh, bringing in, is for the betterment of man and not necessarily just to kill us or just to enslave us. So we have to make sure we are passing that message across continually. 
continually. So that way, everybody's pre-informed. So, and that is the only major way we can reduce hesitancy for people in accepting a particular technology, especially vaccine. Um, I would like to ask, we know of antibiotic resistance that is gradually becoming the bane of our century or the bane of our generation now. I would like to ask, how can vaccine help bleach antibiotic resistance? Yeah, great question, great question. It's simple. Antibiotic resistance occur whereby the organism already is already in the body and we are not taking drugs to um, we are taking drugs or other uh, antimicrobials to fight them off. But what does vaccine does? It prevents the particular pathogen from coming in. So when we use vaccine, we are warding we are warding the particular pathogen off. So vaccine um, is one of the best approach to prevent AMRs from occurring. Simple. Okay, thank you so much, Mr. Shim, for the elaborate um, breakdown of everything we need to know about vaccine technology and its advancements. Thank you so much for that. And I know that with this knowledge gained, a lot of people have been, you know, contemplating on going into this, you know, maybe as a career path or something like, what are the opportunities there for people who have interest in vaccinology? Oh, 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 that's such a good one. There are lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of opportunities. It just it's just about it's just about be keeping your mind open to um to see the possibilities around you. You could work in R and D, you could work in, in um research work in R D section, research institute, work in universities, work with non-governmental funding agencies work with international galleries. So there are multiple positions, even people, we have people that are just working as supply chain manager, inventory managers, working with uh, 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 monitoring and evaluation officers, um, R&D scientists. Um, so it's a whole lot, it's a whole lot. All you just have to do is pick your own niche that you are very much interested. Is it in the science? Is it making sure that you're sure that I want to get, even if it's in the science, what aspect? Is it the R&D? Is it the upscaling? Is it the uh, purification processes? Is it um, the packaging? Um, the packaging, is it the additions of maybe adjuvant or solipid nanoparticles? So there's a whole lot. And maybe you want to work with, um, trying to make sure that, okay, the vaccine has been developed. Let's get it to the people. Uh, okay, after getting to the people, what do we do? Uh, let's, let's evaluate it. People working with the um, um, monitoring and evaluation, technical officers, logistics, supply chain managers. Uh, um, so it's a whole lot. Your, your, your chances are not limited. So all you just have to do for me, you pick your, your niche, you get the appropriate uh, qualifications that matches it, and you go explore around the world of vaccines and vaccinology. Oh, I, I, <laughs> it's a lot of exploration for, for any of us who will be interested. Um, so, you know, we had a very long conversation about vaccine advancement. And I personally have to say a big thank you to you, Mr. Shion, for all the information that you've provided. And we really appreciate your, your contribution, your insight on everything that we've asked. And I'm sure that our listeners out there will have gained a lot, a whole lot about vaccine production with just this episode. Uh, we will have also whet their appetite. How do we used to say it? 
to explore more and to find out more about vaccine production. Right. So that brings us to the end of this episode about vaccines. We've learned so much about how vaccines are changing and becoming better. Uh, from the groundbreaking strides in mRNA vaccines, the social and economic integration of vaccines, we explored how these advancements benefit our health and are beneficial in strengthening the health system, even against the upsurge of antimicrobial resistance. We've also looked at some of the challenges surrounding vaccine production and the opportunities that are there for people who may be interested. Uh, so to our listeners out there, remember that the story of vaccines is a continuous one where ongoing research and ethical considerations and also equitable access, as uh, guest has said, they stand as cornerstones for, healthy, for a healthier world. Uh, we hope that this discussion has ignited your curiosity and highlighted the role that each of us has to play in embracing and championing this life-saving potential of vaccine technology. Till another time, stay informed, stay engaged, and don't, follow, don't forget to follow us on all our social media platforms. Remember, it's at MedLab Convo across all social media platforms, whether it's Twitter, LinkedIn, or Facebook, or Instagram. And don't also forget to send your questions, suggestions, or contributions to our email at medlabconvolabcast at gmail.com. Thank you for being part of this conversation. And until next time, stay well and keep exploring.